Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. Why don't I just let Dustin Johnson, the Ryder Cup beast, fresh off that ass-kicking of Europe, give you the answer as to how I feel right now. DJ, I'm just curious, uh, you being the oldest player on the team, do you think you still have the stamina to uh, out-party all these guys tonight? Absolutely. (laughs) Next question. (laughs) Can you out-party these guys? So if you're wondering, is Rome pumped to start the week? Does Rome have the energy after doing the NFL today yesterday and flying right back home? Remember, I fly to New York on Saturday. I do the show on Sunday. I turn around, I fly right back, and here I am. Not looking for a ribbon. Not looking for any kind of prize. Just saying. Am I hyped and ready to do the show after spending less than 24 hours in New York? Absolutely. Absolutely. Next question. I am. Next question. Absolutely. Fired up for today's show. Because that was an NFL Sunday that had it all. You know, the cliche is you're going to see something that you've never seen before. Except yesterday, you saw just about everything you have never seen before. I don't even know where to start. How about here? Have you ever seen a team attempt a bubble screen in their own end zone with a backup quarterback? Yeah, well, the Dolphins gave it a shot. Was that a new idea? Absolutely. Was that a terrible idea? Absolutely. Absolutely. Roll it. They go empty. Set goes empty on this one, indicating he is. He's going to throw it far out, and it's going to be a safety. Safety, baby. Out of way, Hayward. That's the veteran, baby. Hit him in the end zone. Stupid call, and it's a safety. (laughs) That is probably one of the dumbest plays I have ever seen. You run a tunnel screen in your own end zone? Preach, fellas. Raiders radio. Preach. I mean, maybe there is a reason why you do not throw a pass to a receiver who's a few yards deep in his own end zone. And when I say maybe you don't do that, what I really mean is that was absolutely the dumbest play call in the history of this sport. And I mean on any level, any level of football, jaw-droppingly stupid. Stupid call. Man, I love Brent Musburger getting loose. How about old man Brent? Stupid call. Stupid call. And he's not wrong either. He is not wrong. Why? Because it'll go exactly like it went with the receiver getting blasted and your team lucky to get away with only a safety because he could have coughed it up for a Raiders TD. And given that that game went into OT, in hindsight, did handing the Raiders two free points come back to bite Miami in the ass? Absolutely. And that was not the only bizarre play of the day. There was Jacksonville's kick six right before halftime. You may never see this again. Ball is down. Prater's attempt is up, and it is well short. Agnew fields at eight yards deep. Runs out of the end zone to the left of the 10. At the 20. At the 25 of the 30. At the 35, breaks a tackle at the 40. At the 45 of the 50, 
at the 40, near side at the 30. Oh, my goodness, he stays in bounds. It's a kick six with no time left in the half. Touchdown, Jacksonville. Disaster has struck. Man, no doubt. Again, preach, fellas. Cardinals radio. That was pretty regrettable from an Arizona standpoint. But not nearly as regrettable as this from Jacksonville late in the third quarter. Lawrence takes, turns, gives to Hyde. It's a flea flicker, pitching it back to Lawrence. He's in trouble. Jump ball pass picked off near side by Murphy at the 30, running it back to the left of the 2010. Five touchdown. Byron Murphy after a horrible mistake by the rookie with a pick six, and the Cardinals are back in front. The flea flicker just backfired on Trevor Lawrence and the Jacksonville Jaguars. And I am loving all the local radio broadcasts this morning. These guys are all nailing it. That was not just a pick six. That was a flea flicker pick six. Now that's a new one. I don't think that I've ever seen that before. It feels like whenever you go flea flicker, it either results in a bad incompletion or a bomb. But I've never seen a throw off the back foot to pick up six yards and definitely never just float it up for a DB just to pick it off and take it right back to the house. And I've definitely never seen a flea flicker that included an offensive lineman spinning around and blocking his own teammate to free up J.J. Watt to get in Trevor Lawrence's face. Now that's a new twist. A new twist and not one that I would recommend. In fact, nothing about that play was something I'd recommend. Nothing came out of that that was to remember or to maintain or to keep if you're Jacksonville. Just ask Herb. It's going to be a hard one to get out of my mind. Um, but it's, you know, you also want creativity in your offense, which I'm always pushing those guys very hard on that. I'm pushing the aggressiveness every before every game. I be aggressive, be aggressive. And then, if, you know, it's my job to say if it's not there, don't do that. Right. Like maybe instead of only pushing, be aggressive, be aggressive. Maybe you mix in the occasional, oh, and don't be dumb. I'm not saying Trevor Lawrence is dumb. Far from it. But that was a really, really dumb decision. I mean, sure, Herb, it was aggressive. Yeah, and I guess it was somewhat creative, but it was completely terrible. Don't do that. But I'm not here to bury you, Herb. There's no sport in that anymore. In fact, I'm here to lift you up. I am here to lift you up, Herb, because that's the kind of guy that I am. And I will do so by saying as horrible as you and your team were on offense yesterday, you were not the worst offense yesterday. Nope. Let's all give it up for not only the worst offense of the day, but one of the worst offenses of any day in the history of this league. Yes, clones I give to you the Chicago Bears do you remember when Bears fans were so fired up that Justin Fields would be starting and I get that I get that it's the first real juice that they've had at that position in a long long time however there is also one problem and it happens to be a very big problem Justin Fields is coached by Matt Nagy And I knew that throwing this guy right into the fire against America's team could go very badly for Fields. I mean, he's a rookie, and he's coached by Matt Nagy. And they were going up against America's team. And that was his first start. So on paper, what that looked like was a complete hospital job. 
Then once they hit the field, it was so much worse than even that. So much worse. I mean, holy crap. Every time Fields dropped back to pass, he was wearing Miles Garrett like a cheap suit. Four-man rush. Pressure coming. Fields in trouble. And he's down again. Miles Garrett's got two and a half sacks in the first half. I mean, seriously, this guy was so dominant. I thought that he was going to get the snap half the time himself. So the question was, like, would Miles Garrett get another sack? And the answer, of course, is absolutely. Absolutely. Snap back. He's got it. Here comes Coromoa. Here comes Garrett. They got him again. Miles Garrett, four and a half sacks on the afternoon. What a performance by Miles Garrett. Right. And those are only two of the four and a half sacks. Like, there's no way I have time to play all of them. Like I said, the Bears were not just terrible. They weren't just the worst offense in the league yesterday. They were for at least a day, at least for that day, one of the worst offenses ever, ever. And that's not lava. And that's not a hot take. And that's not hyperbole. And that's not me saying something to get you to look at me and react to me. That is a fact. The numbers bear this out. The numbers are so bad, they're hilarious. The Bears had one net passing yard. They passed for one yard for the entire game. An NFL team passed for a single yard in an NFL game. They were also one for 11 on third down. They had 47 yards of total offense. 47 yards for the entire game. Their best offensive play of the day was a defensive pass interference. So, is that a terrible offense? Absolutely. Absolutely. And is that terrible day and that terrible offense on that head coach? Absolutely. Absolutely. We got a few. Work out your stress and get back to feeling great at Planet Fitness. Join the judgment-free zone for just $10 a month and get tons of cardio and strength equipment in our clean and spacious clubs. Free fitness training and plenty of room to move. You can go at your own pace and get back to a routine that works for you, all for just $10 a month. Plus, check out the crowd meter in our free PF app for the best time to visit. Don't wait. Join any of our 2,000-plus locations today, in club, online, or in the app. See club for details. Not the rookie making his first start against a badass defense and America's team. Like, that's not on the player. That's not on the rookie. That's not on Fields. That's on Nagy. That's on the head coach. You know, the alleged offensive wizard. Because that offense is a complete and utter catastrophe and a total fiasco. And if you want, you go right ahead and you can add the word disaster to it as well because that's exactly what that was. Yes, you're going up against Miles Garrett. Yes, he's going to wreak havoc and create chaos for any offense. But the Bears were causing so much of that chaos themselves. And that's on the coach. He didn't get the rookie well enough prepared for that game. He didn't get himself prepared for that game. Rookie quarterbacks are going to struggle. We know this. It's a fact of life. Ask Trevor Lawrence. Ask Zach Wilson. Ask Mac Jones. But you cannot send a rookie quarterback out there to get the holy bleep beaten out of him. Fields was sacked nine times. Fields said after the game to quote, I'm not used to this. And when he said that, he was referring to losing 
But if Matt Nagy is your head coach, you better get used to it, Jay. I mean, if Matthew is your head coach, you may as well just reach out to the Detroit Lions and find out what they do to cope because they are absolute pros. They've got this down pat. They're to the point where days like yesterday don't even bother the Lions fans anymore. Any other fan base sees a guy kick an NFL field goal, an NFL record 66-yard field goal that hits the crossbar and then goes over to beat them. All right? You hear what I'm saying? A 66-yard field goal to win the game, an NFL record. Anybody else has that happen to them and that fan base reacts by saying, oh, my God, this is not oh my happening. God, oh, my God, this is not happening. Yeah, but if you're a Lions fan, you're so used to it, you're probably laughing. Oh, my God, this is happening. Oh, my God, this is incredible. They probably thought it was cool at this point because it wasn't just that field goal. There was the game-winning drive itself. The fourth and 19 that the Ravens converted from their own 16. Like, incredible. I'm not sure what's more mind-blowing. A record-breaking 66-yard field goal that hit the crossbar and went through to win that game. Or a defense allowing the opposition to convert on 4th and 19 from their own 16. I'm not sure which of those two things blows my mind more. But I'm going to take the latter, since the kicker in question is probably the best to ever do it. I mean, going into that kick, if you wanted to calculate whether or not Justin Tucker was going to make that kick, you need to consider only two things. It's really not that hard. Number one, it's Justin Tucker. He's got one of the freakiest legs you're ever going to see, and the guy is clutch as hell. Number two, it is the Detroit Lions. And if they can find a way to lose, if they can find a way to lose in a game that is new and shocking, they will. They're the Lions. So... Would Justin Tucker make that kick? Absolutely. A 66-yard try. Tucker's kick is on the way. It is good. Crossbar, and it tumbles through. It is good. Time has expired. Justin Tucker with the longest field goal in NFL history. The hay is in the barn, and it's mayhem on the field. Oh, my God. You've just seen I just history. lost my mind. Lions fan, you know I'm not here to bury you. You know I love you. I mean, I love you. I love the D. It's such an amazing football town. But I got to tell you something. That was incredible. I mean, that was straight comedy. That, that was amazing. Yeah, because that guy was going to miss that kick against that team indoors. Sure he wasn't. But even knowing that, to have that thing bounce off the crossbar for the win is absolutely incredible. And this is what it sounded like if you were a Lions fan listening on the radio. Tucker's ready. There's the snap. Spot down. Kick on the way. It is up and it is off the crossbar and through. Oh, my goodness. Are you kidding me? Justin Tucker from 66 hit the crossbar. If that sounded like a gut punch, it's because that's exactly what that was. As Lions quarterback... Jared Goff said after the game. About as big of a gut punch as I've ever been a part of. Um, The gut punches will stop. I mean, I kind of respect that, Jared. But I'm sure every Lions fan has to be saying, "Uh uh-huh, uh-huh. Sure, Jared. Whatever you say, Jared. 
The gut punches will stop someday. Absolutely. They won't. Hey, Jared, you'll learn. Just like Matthew Stafford, Barry Sanders, and Megatron. Three legends who either quit in their primes or asked out. And why? Because of the cumulative effect of getting blasted in the junk over and over and over again. Are you craving some protein after a good workout? This time, do not make a shake or eat a bar. Instead, grab a bag of beef jerky from Old Trapper. Old Trapper beef jerky is tasty and tender. It's made with real strips of steak and quality spices that are smoked over a wood fire, and it goes with you wherever you go, to the game, to the gym, to the beach, wherever. So look for Old Trapper in the Clearview bag. You can see the quality you're buying that way. Look for it in major retail stores near you. If you don't see it, ask for it by name because no other jerky compares. Old Trapper, what's your beef? Ross Tucker, NFL, good friend of the program and one of the masterminds behind my front page story. Ross, great to have you back. How are you? Awesome, Jim. How you doing, buddy? Good, dude. Good. Listen, I need to start you off, Ross, with something you tweeted 18 hours ago, and it reads, quote, top five invention of the 21st century so far. There's a picture of pretzel crisps, and below that you have, what's your favorite thing to put on these? Hummus or peanut butter for me these days. I just have to say off the top, Ross, I've never been a, been a big pretzel guy, but I have those, and hummus 100% all day long. And by the way, it's good stuff, man. Yeah, you know what? Um, I just, it's one of the book about 30 things, Jim, that when I first saw it, I knew it was genius, and I was mad at myself for not coming up with it myself. I like chips. I, I've told you before, I think it's crazy to me that there's no other chip close to as good as Doritos, but Doritos aren't really a dipping chip. So what pretzel crisps are is they are the greatest vehicle to shove other food in your mouth. So they're perfect with hummus. I like them with uh, guacamole. Um, The peanut butter pretzel combo is always excellent. And it's the perfect Sunday football snack because the crisp is so thin and it's a pretzel so you kind of feel like it's healthy. I don't even know. I, I've never actually looked at what the uh, ingredients are, but you kind of feel like it's healthy. And then you're just putting like guac or peanut butter or hummus in your mouth, all of which have some decent nutrition to them. It's an incredible breakdown. Thank you very much, Ross, for coming back on the show. Have a great week. See you soon. No, I mean, no. It's, it, it is, that is a great breakdown right there. And I'm glad you put that thing up there. And again, I, I'm not really about pretzels or hummus, but that pretzel and hummus is great. It works perfectly. All right, so you and I agree also on other things, including the fact, Ross, that people always overreact to week one. As an example, the Steelers beat the Bills in week one. The Packers got destroyed in week one. So how different do the Steelers and the Bills and the Packers look now? Yeah, you know, I've come to the conclusion over the years that and maybe we should have already known this or maybe people already know this, but week one really tells us the least of any week the entire season. There's so many different factors that go into it. Teams have new coordinators, new schemes. You don't really know what it is they're going to do. I mean, even we'll see what the Eagles are like tonight, but the Eagles killed the Falcons. You know, they both had new head coaches, but 
the two people calling the plays for the Eagles on both sides of the ball had never done it before. So there's simply no track record. So you learn a lot more uh, in week two and week three than you do in week one. And I think, man, the Steelers are a great example of that. I, you know, and I tweeted this yesterday, Jim. Can you believe the Steelers beat the Bills? I mean, it, like watching both those teams play the last two weeks, the Bills are destroying the Dolphins and Washington football team, who aren't terrible teams, by the way, and the Bills just annihilated them. And the Steelers look like the bad news bears out there the last couple of weeks against the Raiders and the Bengals. It's hard to believe it was two weeks ago that the Pittsburgh Steelers beat the Buffalo Bills. I mean, these are all great points. I would agree with that last statement. And also, I think maybe, well, I mean, I said it myself on the NFL and CBS. I said, look, the Raiders are different. Their 2-0 this year is different, in part because they beat the Ravens and the Steelers. But then, obviously, that win over the Steelers does not look so great right about now. Ross Tucker is joining us. Ross, were you at all surprised that Aaron Rodgers got his team in field goal range with less than 40 seconds left on the clock and no timeouts? No, I wasn't surprised. Uh, you'd still think, given the Packers' O-line situation, that perhaps the Niners would have prevented that. It's interesting because my, my Even Money podcast uh, co-host, Steve Fezzik, he's furious about that because, you know, the Niners kicked it all the way into the end zone. And he made this point the other day. I can't remember who was playing, but he made this point the other day. You know, in those situations – you really should do, Jim, one of those high mortar-type kicks that comes down inside the five. You're going to run seven, eight, nine seconds off the clock, and they're still going to end up only getting the ball at about the 25. Everybody in these late-game situations that kicks off all the way, I think it might have been the Ravens that did it, but that kicks it all the way into the end zone for a touchback, you're really doing the other side a favor. There's a lot of things like that that I think the analytics folks are starting to realize, but they haven't caught up to that one yet because then you just give the Packers all the time. You take no time off the clock on the kickoff, so they get it to 25. And what was it, two throws from Rodgers to Devontae Adams? Boom, they're in Mason Crosby range. It's actually a very good point. It's a really good point. Those seven or eight seconds mean all the difference in the world to a guy like Aaron Rodgers. I thought, Ross, also you had a great tweet last night during the game, and you said, quote, Bosa is incredible, end of quote. As an offensive lineman, Ross, what do you think when you watch Nick Bosa? Yeah, I think he's the best. Um, I really do. Because, you know, if you watch him play in and play out, most, a lot of times the pass rushers, they're not – you know, great against the run, or they don't really play both. I mean, even just like the first three or four plays of the game last night, he got he knocked the bat. The first drive, he knocked the ball down. Then he beat the tackle on an inside move and and forced a uh, face mask penalty, uh, which made him kick a field goal. Then he like bench pressed the offensive tackle back and made a tackle for loss against the run. He's so strong in his lower body. He's so good with his hands. He's just a really, really impressive young player. Um, I'm consistently amazed with how technically skilled the Boses are and have been from such a young age. I don't know who worked with them growing up and in high school, maybe their dad, with their hands, but they're just so 
technically sound. It's really fun to watch both those guys play. I think they're amazing. I think they're all that, and I think the mindset's incredible. I, I can't get enough of those guys, both of them. Now, if you have ever been behind the wheel of a high-performance sports car, you realize just how much better a car can be. If you've done that, you never, ever want to go back. You never, ever want to settle for a regular car again. I know this, and I feel exactly the same way about my X-Chair. I knew it. From the moment I first sat down in it, I understood why many consider X-Chair to be the finest office chair in the world. Let's talk about this for a minute. For instance, can your current office chair give you a massage while you're working? My X chair can. Can your current office chair heat up or cool down? Probably not, but my X chair can. It's all in the LMAX massage and temperature regulation, exclusively designed and made for by X chair. It's all in the LMAX massage and temperature regulation, exclusively designed and made for X chair. And once you do feel that customized support of X-Chair's patented dynamic variable lumbar or DVL, your back will never be happy in any other chair again. Trust that. So try my advice. Try X-Chair for yourself, risk-free for 30 days. Once you realize how much better your chair should be, you will never go back. Go to xchairrome.com. That's the letter X Chair. R-O-M-E.com for 100 bucks off your order. X-Chair has a 30-day guarantee of complete comfort. X-Chair-Rome.com. Ross, what about Justin Fields? Like, he finally makes his start in the regular season, and it went pretty horribly, like even more horribly than anybody could have predicted. Nine sacks, a single yard passing, one net yard passing. How much of this is on him? How much of this is on the head coach? And what was going through your mind as you watched him take that beating? I honestly think, um, and I said this today on my podcast, Jim, I think I'm the only person that will say this out loud. This is why Justin Fields wasn't starting. This is why Andy Dalton was the starter. And it's not to say that Fields is bad, but look, their offensive line, Jim, is terrible. It's the worst. So I don't think they wanted to put a running, uh, I mean, a, a rookie quarterback, not running quarterback, a rookie quarterback out there with a terrible offensive line. The last thing they wanted to do was affect Fields' confidence. And i got to be honest with you, I highly doubt he woke up feeling very confident this morning, Jim. Hmm. They, they did not want to put him behind that line this early. Now, I will say this, he didn't look like a guy that was totally ready. And anytime there's nine sacks, uh, a, a decent amount of those are on the quarterback, right? I mean, you know, there would never be nine sacks for the Bradys, the Peyton Mannings, you know, the guys that get the ball out quickly. So part of those are on Justin. And and maybe, Jim, maybe Matt Nagy knows that he doesn't want to change the whole offense or he's not good enough to change the whole offense in one week to suit what Fields does best. Maybe it's all those things. And that's okay. It's okay to say, you know what, we don't want to start him yet because he's not ready. Our O-line's not ready. We don't want to rattle him or his confidence by putting him out there before the O-line or he are ready. And, you know, we're not ready to change everything we do to just run RPOs all the time to try to put him in a better situation. So that's I, literally it's, it's amazing to me that not one person has said publicly, you know what, maybe that's why they weren't starting him yet. Maybe they realized it wasn't a good idea for a lot of different reasons. Yeah, all of those reasons, and maybe deep down Nagy knows he doesn't, have what it takes or nobody can do to help his young quarterback because I didn't see any help for him at all. But 
very clearly that was the fear, right? We put this guy out there, and this is what happens. And as confident as he is and as great a college career as he has, I agree with you, Ross. There's no way that guy rolled out of bed this morning feeling really good about things and about himself. Now, let me ask you this. What about Kansas City? Ross, they're coming off a loss to the Chargers. At home, they've lost two in a row, granted a couple of close games, tight games. But how does Kansas City look to you three games in? Well, you know, the thing is interesting, and I know you follow this stuff. They were 8-0 and in one-score games last year. Right. They had a crazy streak of winning one-score games. I remember watching them play, and every game they'd get a lead, and then the other team would come from behind, and then late, Patrick Mahomes would make the one-clinching play to win, right? He'd make the throw, or he'd run for eight yards, or whatever. And I just never thought as great as he is, and he is, I just didn't think that that was sustainable. Now, I'm not getting too worked up yet, and I'll tell you why. You know, in week two against Baltimore, I was there calling the game for West of one. If they just take a knee and Edwards Elaire doesn't fumble, they kick that field goal and win the game. So they're 2-0. and And then yesterday, the first three times they had the ball, they got into Chargers territory, into the red area, and turned it over. Now, one of them was Mahomes with a no-look pass that he threw a little bit behind the guy. And I know you're not allowed to publicly criticize Mahomes ever, but just not. It, it just, it's, it's partially his fault. It wasn't perfect placement, and I don't think the guy was ready because it was a no-look pass. And that was a pick. And then Edwards Hilaire fumbled again. So I still think they're one of the best teams, but it is kind of wild to look at their division and the Raiders and, and Broncos both already have – two games on them. The good news for the Chiefs is they get to play both those teams twice. That actually is really strange. Three weeks in. Ross, one more thought. Earlier this month, you had a tweet. I think I think this is a great tweet. Daniel Jones is fast, smart, tough, accurate, strong arm, hardworking, high character, yet I still don't know if he's, quote, good. I agree with all of that. How do you explain that, though? You know what it is? Because I was thinking about this. And, and when is all of those things as well. And ultimately, even though, look, they're both like documented smart guys. Like if you ever went in there and went on the whiteboard, they could show you everything. They know everything. I, the, the longer I do this, the more I realize it, there's two things. There's an innate feel for the position, you know, which is like pocket presence, pocket movement. And then there is um, processing information in a short period of time for decision-making. And both those guys struggle there. You know, I mean, Jones hasn't – here's what's crazy. If you're a Giants fan, I mean, he played maybe his best game ever against Washington. They lost. He didn't turn it over yesterday. They lost. But he just doesn't – those guys, even though they check all those boxes, the most important boxes to check, really the, mo- the most important box to check in the NFL, is de- decision-making. And neither one of those guys consistently makes the right decision in a short amount of time. Um, and that's, that's it. That's the position more than anything else is that one quality. I mean, Wentz still hasn't learned. You watch Wentz, he still puts himself in reckless positions. And he, I think the Colts are in a bad spot with him because being reckless and injury-riddled, prone, whatever you want to call it, that's just a bad combo. It's not a sustainable combo. But that's the one box, I guess, when I wrote down all those other things, all those check marks. Indulge me for a moment, and let me talk to you about WinBet. 
the latest and greatest sports betting app on the market. The same five-star hotel service that you know and love is now in the digital betting space, providing an elite sportsbook and digital casino app. So whether you're playing money lines for NFL Week 4, totals for college football Week 5, or both, WinBet has you covered. Are you looking for other sports? WinBet has those too. It's all right there for you with your WinBet app. WinBet is also fully integrated with Win Rewards. That means by playing WinBet, you can accrue points to earn free credit in app and comp dollars towards perks at Win Resorts, discounted hotel stays, priority dining and entertainment, free merchandise, and more. It really is the very best loyalty program in the industry. So whether playing from your phone or your computer, you absolutely have got to sign up for WinBet ASAP. Bet with the best. Get into the game. Terms and conditions at winbet.com. Must be 21 or older and present in the state where playthrough winbet is available. If you or somebody else you know has a gambling problem, call 1-800-522-4700. NFC Championship game. We're getting tossed around quite a bit yesterday. Way more than you would normally hear, right, in week three. And that's because there was an alleged 2021 season NFC Championship game preview in Los Angeles. On top of that, you had a 2019 NFC Championship game rematch in the Bay Area. So why don't we start first with the Bucks and the Rams. You had the defending champs coming out here to L.A. Did you know Tom Brady has never, ever played in Los Angeles before? Did you know that? Fun fact. Did you know that Jerome Bettis is from Detroit? Tampa Bay was supposed to be coming out to Los Angeles to bully the Rams. They were supposed to be here to let everybody know that, yeah, the Rams have a nice little football team, but the champs are here, and it's time to leave or let everybody else know exactly what time it really is, how things really are, except that didn't happen. In fact, not at all. As I said on the NFL Today yesterday, the easy pick... In that game was Tampa Bay. The easy pick was the defending champs. They've got Brady. They hadn't lost in forever. Meanwhile, the Rams had beaten the Bears, who are, well, the Bears, and have been forever. And they beat the Colts, who are, well, whoever or whatever the hell the Colts are this year. I never want to overreact to a Week 3 game, but yesterday's Week 3 game mattered. And it mattered a hell of a lot. It was the kind of game Matthew Stafford wanted to play in, which is why he asked out of Detroit. The kind of game he wanted to play in, the kind of game he needed to play in, and the kind of game that he would be judged by. Now, sometimes I say the kind of game where somebody would be judged by fair or not. It would have been fair. He knew this. He wanted that game. He needed that game. He came here to be in those games. And yes, If he didn't fare well, he would have been judged because he knows that if he does not deliver in games like that, it is going to be on him. People will then say he can't handle the pressure. He's a paper tiger. Those are inflated numbers, worthless numbers, bloated numbers, you know, some bull crap like that. But notice you're not hearing any of that because he didn't just go toe-to-toe with Tom Brady. He outplayed him and he beat him straight up. Yes, Brady had a big day. He threw for more than 400 yards, but only one TD. 
Matthew Stafford went for nearly 350 and four TDs. And there was not a bigger, more impressive one than this absolute bomb he threw to Deshaun Jackson. Stafford keeps his Rams out the line. Third down and 10. Well protected. Steps up. Launches deep down the right numbers. All alone. Deshaun Jackson over the shoulder at the 30. He weaves his way to the end zone. Touchdown LA. 75 yards. Welcome home Deshaun Jackson. Rams radio with the call. A couple things about that play that jump out to me. Number one, I don't understand how a defense lets Deshaun Jackson get behind them like that. It's not like he hasn't been doing that for years. Number two, I don't understand how Deshaun Jackson gets behind a defense like that. It's not like he hasn't been doing that for years. How is that guy still doing that? at this level, and humiliating defenses like that still. I'm not sure what I like better. The pass, the catch, the weaving taunt of the defenders, or the fact that he ran into the tunnel, or the fact that Sean McVay was the first guy into the tunnel to celebrate with him. They had been looking to hit that pass apparently for a while now, and McVay was pumped when they finally did. Then again, he was pumped as hell throughout the entire game, like when the Bucks missed a field goal at the end of the first half. Are you going to tell me, watching Sean McVay, watching his reactions, are you going to tell me that that's just another regular season game? Because it's not. It was a statement game, and the Rams made a hell of a statement. Statement being, the road to the Super Bowl ends in our house, and right now, it goes through our house. Because this team isn't just talented, they have amazing chemistry. You could see that from the head coach all the way down throughout the entire game. Don't take my word for it. What do I know? I wasn't there. I was in New York. What do I know? I'm not with these guys. Don't take my word for it, but take the word of one legend by the name of Aaron Donald. Good group, man. I think everybody get along well, like great. You know, everybody like being around each other. We enjoy being around each other. Everybody's always having fun together. Um, And last time we had a team like that, you know, we went to the Super Bowl. So um, the head out here right now, it's fun. You know, it's it's fun to come to work. Um, It's fun to be around these guys. Um, So we just got to continue to work. So Two things. Number one, that is not the first Ram to say it. I've talked to a number of Rams on this show, and they say the exact same thing. Number two, you don't have to like your teammates or your coworkers, but, man, it makes it a hell of a lot easier, doesn't it? If you come to work every single day and you got to work side-by-side with people you don't like, that kind of sucks, right? But if you come to work every single day and you're happy to see your coworkers or you come to work every single day and you're happy to see your teammates or the coaches, that helps a lot. As for the Bucks. That game could be summed up in a single image. And that was Brady on the bench, staring up at the ceiling, defeated. Based on the fact that members of Brady's crew, his father and his trainer, had been talking about the Patriots last week, maybe, maybe Brady and the Bucks were looking past this game. Maybe. And if they were, they should not have been. If they were, that would have been a really stupid thing to do. Stupid call. But I know this. They couldn't run the ball. Didn't really try to run the ball. But then again, they usually don't try to run the ball. However, this time, they also could not get pressure on the opposing quarterback. 
something that normally is not a problem for them. So Stafford had time, and he had weapons. Four of his receivers averaged better than 10 yards per reception. That is not a good statement about the Bucs. Now, I'm not going to say that Tampa Bay is overrated. I'm not going to, sure as hell, not going to throw dirt on Tampa Bay. That would be stupid, a stupid call. They'll get healthier. They'll get better. They didn't hit their stride until late last season, and we know how that ended. So things will improve, or at least they better hope so, because playing that way is not good enough. Not good enough to beat teams that matter. Good enough to beat the Patriots, I'm sure, this coming weekend, but not good enough to beat the Rams. Not good enough to defend. What they showed yesterday was not enough to repeat. Not even close. And not that either side needs any more motivation coming into this week's tilt. Bucks, Pats, Brady's return to Foxborough. Not that either side needed any more motivation. But I have to admit, it'd be a little more interesting if both those teams were not coming off a loss going into that game. But you could start all that hype and all that talk right about now. As far as the Patriots go, they did not look like a playoff team at all. You've got the Bucs. They didn't look like a championship team at all. The Patriots did not look like a playoff team at all. And they'll knock heads this weekend. How's that going to go? We'll get into it as the week goes on. But know this, that is one of my topics. I already know that's one of my topics for Sunday on the NFL Today. How do I think that Tommy and Gronky are going to do in their return to Foxborough? Hey, now check this out. Does this sound familiar? And I bet it does. You have one device that lets you catch the game live. You have another one that lets you stream your favorite shows. And you're watching sports highlights on your phone. And you've got your neighbors, best friends log in for all the good stuff. Well, let me tell you about a single way to get all that entertainment that you love without all that hassle. And a great way to finally get your TV together. It's called Direct TV Stream. And it brings you your live TV and your on-demand favorites together like never before so you can watch all your favorite sports, movies, and shows in the same place. That means no more juggling remotes, no need to buy another device ever again, and the very best part, there is no annual contract. Win, win, win. So get rid of all that clutter and the confusion and get your TV together with DirecTV Stream. You can learn more at directtv.com. That's directtv.com. Compatible devices required. Content varies by package. Dave Doran. Dave, it is great to have you on. How are you? Doing good, Jim. Hope you are. I'm doing great. In fact, I really should rephrase that question. You're in the top 25. You're coming off a huge win against the top 10 team at home in double OT. So what was it like to wake up yesterday morning, Dave, after that win? <laughs> it was a great night. I mean, uh, it's been coming for a long time and a lot of emotions. You know, we've lost to Clemson. Um in three close games and one heartbreaker. And so there was a lot of uh, redemption, I guess you would say, in that win. But very proud of, of our staff and our players and our fan base. It was an incredible environment. Hey Dave, to that point, I mean, you had given Clemson all they could handle in previous meetings, and you talked about that heartbreaker. You'd gotten so close so many times. So what was your message to your team before the game? 
Well, I told them all week that we would win the game if we just made the plays we had to make at key moments, and we didn't have to step outside ourselves too much. Just do what you're asked to do. Do it as hard as you can do it. Do it for your brothers, and when you get a chance to put them away, do it. And you know, we had to overcome ourselves. We had 11 penalties and missed three field goals, so there was a lot of making up to do with offense and defense out there, and the kids found a way. I'll tell you what, I let two things you just said really stand out to me. Number one, do what you have to do and do it as hard as you can do it. I like that. And to your other point, you had to overcome a couple of missed kicks and 11 penalties. I mean, it would have been easy for guys to get down and say, here we go again, but that's not what happened. That's not the mindset they had. So how do you explain that? Well, I think there's a genuine love on this football team that we're not going to fail each other. And no matter what, we're not going to flinch. We're going to find a way to win. It's a bunch of guys that truly, genuinely care about the guys on the team and the coaches, and it's really a, kind of a magical place to work right now, just the way things have come together over the last two years with the leadership we have with our players and the way the coaches interact. So it's a lot of fun, It's uh, and I'm just really, really uh, excited for the school and our fan base. They've, you know, they needed something like that here at the school, and, and as you know, sports is a unifying force, and all the things we've been dealing with, I think it was really, really special. No doubt. North Carolina head coach Dave Doran joining us. I mean, there's so many moments that we could talk about, but I've got to say, that pass that Devin Leary threw into the corner of the end zone with two defenders in that area really was a thing of beauty. What did you see on that play? Well, Devin went through his progression. It was a um, double move to Emeka was what we are trying to get, and they covered it well, and Devin Carter on the other side of the field. We had a, a fake screen and go, and Devin went through, you know, left to right across the field, saw him, gave him a chance, and ball was a little bit behind um, on his outside shoulder, and he adjusted well to it, went down, and the pictures of his eyes on the ball, just the focus that he had to frame that catch and put it away, it was really a good job by him. In fact, just to follow up on that, Dave, like he was named the Walter Camp FBS Offensive Player of the Week for his performance. You've been around him a long time now, but what did he show you on Saturday? Well, Devin's a clutch player, and, and he showed me that last year. We beat Ted up there on the road, and he brought us back. You know, had a 400-yard passing day and won the game in the final minutes in a two-minute drive, so I knew he was clutch. But he showed a lot of poise in that game, and there was a lot of stuff going on. It was, it was super loud, and we did a lot with him. He had to make a lot of reads on the snap, you know, from an RPO standpoint to try to put stress on their secondary. And he just did a really good job of executing the game plan and giving his playmakers chances to make plays and not putting us in bad positions. Because there was eight plays in the game where they could have sacked him and he threw the ball away. And those were huge plays, you know, just getting us to the next down. Dave Doyne's joining us talking about that big win. And then after the game, you said, quote, the curse is broken, NC State fans. Hey, look, you're nine years into it with the program. You've seen some crazy things. I mean, at any point in time, did you start to think that, you know, curses? Man, maybe there is something to this. Maybe this is real. And then how does it feel to have broken that thing finally, whatever it is? Yeah. You know, the first week I was on the job here, uh, my old AD, Debbie Al, told me you're going to hear a lot about this curse. You know, and I'm like, what are you talking about? And I'm going to tell you, man. <laughs> There's been a lot of stuff that's unexplainable go down here. And, and watching it again with our baseball team in the spring, I mean, what a crime that was. So, yeah, for something to go our way and to be able to bounce, you know, push through all the things that went on and get the win and be able to celebrate that with our fan base, it was magical. And 
We got rid of it. I don't know what it, it took a lot, but we got rid of it on Saturday. Man, that that is the truth, right? So how much of that win was about what the team did on Saturday? And then how much of that was the result of nine years of work and building the program to this point and yeah. creating that culture? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely accumulation. Uh, it took a lot of people, a lot of coaches that are no longer here, you know, have moved on and have helped build this thing. Uh, a lot of players that are now in the NFL helped build it. And I actually showed um, – in our Friday team meeting, I showed a bunch of plays that we've made over the last nine years to kind of get over the hump in certain games to to finally beat Florida State. Here's what we had to do. To finally beat Louisville, here's what we had to do. And to beat Notre Dame in a hurricane, here's what we had to do. I showed them players making plays at key moments and said it's time to do that against this team, and you're ready. And the guys did it. NC State uh, head coach Dave Groen joining us. Dave, I want to ask you about key moments. This is a different way of looking at it, I think. You said something the other day about the mood coming out of that loss to Mississippi State that I thought was very interesting. Quote, we just didn't finish drives, and so it was a situation where we had a tough, humble pie learning experience about being a better teammate offensively. It's a really interesting term or phrase. What did you mean by learning how to be a better teammate offensively, and then how did that show up against Furman and Clemson? Yeah, well, we got down the red zone three times in that game and got zero points, and we gave up a kickoff return for a touchdown. Um, and offensively in that game, there were we have a lot of good players, you know, and they all want the ball, and I understand that. But there were times where kids were questioning, oh, I should get the ball more, how come I'm not getting this route, or how come we're not running this play? And like I told them after the game, if you do that, you're playing for the other team. You need to take the play call to heart. You need to do your job. And if you do that, you're going to make plays. And the guys all owned that. They they understood. You can't win games doing that. Eleven guys have to go as hard as they can for the play caller and protect the quarterback if you're an offensive player. And, you know, being selfish is not a way to win in an 11-man at one-time sport. And we talked a lot about that in the preseason, like what could keep us from being great. And one of the things was not – being a good teammate just because there's a lot of kids that are on this team just like everyone with the COVID relief we have 91 guys on scholarship there's only 11 of them on the field you know no one's going to play as much as they want to you know it's just how it is and you got to buy into being a great teammate if you want to win it's such a great message such an important message so then in talking to coaches over the years they always talk about the fact that the most dangerous game is the one that comes after a big win and yeah. that sometimes dealing with success is tougher than dealing with failure. So what then is your message to the team this week as you get ready for Louisiana Tech? Yeah, when we addressed the elephant in the room right away, um, I told them that, like, hey, we're going to enjoy the win for two days, and when you guys come back in the building on Monday, it's over. And we can't listen to the hype. We can surely, you know, be thankful that we won the game and, but, you know, even with our social media, all that, like whatever you're putting out there, you got Sunday and Monday to do it. When we get to Tuesday, it's all about winning the next game and being better. And one of the players stood up, Drake Thomas, and he had a really profound statement to the team, you know. He said, look, man, we set our goals for the season. It didn't say beat Clemson and then go home. It said win the championship, you know. And to, all we did was get one step closer, and that's it. So we got to move on. So it was great to hear the players, you know chime in after that and there's all the same sentiment we just got to get back on the grass now and put them to it 
Well, Dave, that's the bottom line, right? You know as a head coach, if you've got your players telling each other that, that's about as good as it gets. One quick follow since you mentioned social media. I'm really curious how you approach this. Like, it, it is what it is, and when social media is good, it's the best thing ever, and then when it's bad, it's like the worst thing ever. Like, if you're a coach, you don't want your players reading constantly, you suck, you suck, you're terrible, you're horrible, but as a coach, you also don't want your players reading constantly, you're the best thing ever. So how do you approach it with social media? Like, you can't tell them not to do it, so what yeah. do you tell them? It's hard, you know. I mean, you, you talk about it, and I think that's the biggest thing. We can't assume it doesn't bother them or that it's not a problem. I mean, everything you just said is true. And uh, I don't know if anyone's ever said that to you before, Ron, but <laughs> everything you just said is true. But uh, with the guys, man, you just tell them. You know, like, look, if we read into this and get inflated egos, we're going to lose, and we're going to be super regretful. You know, and, and when there's people that want to put you down, they're going to be right there doing it. And the best thing they can do is have a tight circle and really not pay attention to most of that stuff during the season. That's the truth. He is the head football coach at NC State. Nine years in, they're coming off a big win. But the next one, what's the big win? What's the biggest one? It's always the next one. Louisiana yeah. Tech is at NC State Saturday. Dave, great to have you on the show. Thank you very much. Congrats. And I hope we can do it again soon. I appreciate you having me. It means a lot. Go Pack. But she's not afraid. And she's back. So she goes right to the front of the line. Kathleen in Omaha. Kathleen, what's going on? Thank you, Jim, for the golden ticket. And thank you to everyone who said I should have one. I just want y'all to do one thing, and that's watch Avatar's brand-new video, Going Hunting. I've already, it's a great song. I've already seen it so many times. It's just one of 22 that they have, and they're all worth watching except for Florida Swarm because it's only a minute 44, and songs should not be that short. But all of the others are much longer than that. Um, Kathleen? I've got bad news for you. No. You don't like that car. I don't like that car. That golden ticket that you thanked me for? You no longer have it. Albie, thank you. Kathleen, this is the sound of you getting, Alvin. Let's show. Thank you. That was the sound last week of you getting a golden ticket. One more time. It's glorious, isn't it? Now give me a word that is the opposite of glorious. Sucks. This is what happened to you today. And do you know why that is? I gave you that golden ticket because of your edge. Albeit your anger. That you were on point. How many times have I said one of the things I admire most and I'm most blown away by when it comes to Kathleen is that she has never once addressed me in any of her phone calls. Never. Hi, Jim. Thanks for taking my call, Jim. Like, for the life of me, I have no idea until now if she even knew my name or what show she was calling. Did you hear the way she started that? With niceties, pleasantries. Hi, Jim. Wait, wait, what? Hi, Jim? Did you say hi? And did you refer to me by my name? Hi, Jim. And did you say thank you? Hi, Jim. Thank you. And to all the clones, thank you. Hi, Jim, for giving me, no, hi, Jim, thank you for giving me a golden ticket. And thank you to all the clones 
for saying that I deserved it. Thank you, Jim, for the golden ticket. And thank you to everyone who said I should have one. I mean, was that the fake Kathleen in Omaha? And then to make the entire call about the Avatar. Kathleen, good news, bad news. Bad news, you ain't invited to this party. Good news is, you can get re-invited to the party. Get back to your roots. Do what you do best. The ticket changed you. The ticket made you soft. The ticket ripped your edge, so I ripped the ticket back. Here's something else. Before you get really mad, Kathleen, think of the call you just made. Do you think that call would get you into the smack-off? Of course not. That attitude, that call, that content, of course not. That's not why I put you in. And that's why you're not in right now. It was golden tickets, man. You have to understand, they carry incredible and immense value. I don't just give those things away. You got to earn them. And then once you earn it, you have to keep earning it. And you just unearned it. I'm sorry to have to do that. But it is my job to do that. And nobody listening would even question that. And if you're saying, Rome, come on, man, that was so unfair. No, it's not. That's not what got her in. That's not what gets anybody in. It's like the Hall of Fame. It's not the Hall of Very Good. Only the best get in. And before that call, all of her calls put her in a position where she was among the best, trying to win. But not that call. So, Kathleen, dust yourself off. Get back up on that horse. Not today. I know you, Kathleen. I know you want to right that wrong immediately. I know you're back to your old self already. Not today. Adafe Owe is my guest. Adafe, good to have you on. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for having me. It's good to have you. So, what a wild day yesterday. Can you take me back? I'm curious. What's going through your mind when you see Justin Tucker line up for that 66-yard field goal to win it? Yeah, you know, it's just... Obviously, a bunch of emotions because you know in that situation, the game. You know, we were we were we had our backs against the wall. You know, we were potentially you know gonna lose. So, you know, obviously we trust Tuck. We trust you know that he's you know arguably the greatest kicker in the league. So, you want to trust everything, but obviously it's, it was a, it was a tough feat that he that he did. So, it was a little it was a little some some there was some skeptical uh, some skeptical in our nature there, but. You know, once he once he kicked it, and I saw you know the the trajectory of it, I knew it was good. Adafi Owe joining us. What a great explanation that was. That kick. I mean, like we know the guy, and we know he's got like an electric leg, and we know how clutch this guy is. But that really was an amazing moment, and for that thing to hit the crossbar the way it did and bounce yeah. over. I mean, for anybody other than a Lions player and Lions fan, that was an amazing thing to see. You know, on top of the emotion that you mentioned going into that game. You had so many guys go onto the COVID list, and you'd already lost players due to injury, yet you guys just continued to grind and battle and fight. So how would you describe the mindset and the identity of your defense? Um, yeah, that's our defense. You know, we have a motto. It's a, a don't flinch you know, mentality. So, you know, whatever type of adversity we go through, whether it's on the field or, you know, off the field like it was this week, you know, we just – it's a next man uh, mentality, so – you know we're gonna we, we know we're gonna go through things this year. Obviously with COVID in the picture too, so we're trying our best to you know just just be as dominant as we were uh, we were with 
you know, our starters and just try to hold hold down the tent until they come back. But, you know, we, we have that we have that don't flinch mentality and we're just gonna keep on, you know, balling out and trying to, you know, get the ball back for uh, for our offense. You know, so when we talk about a mentality, when we talk about a mindset, of course the Ravens have a long history of great, great defenses. What's it mean to you to be a Baltimore Raven and to be already part of that history? Um, you know, it's it's a blessing, you know, getting drafted here we already knew that I was coming into a historical defense, you know, with guys that you know are legends and probably like the best best defenders in the game. So I already knew I was coming to such rich tradition. But um you know, just to have some, be a part of the history already, you know, so early in my career, it's, it's a blessing. You know, I, it just motivates me to try to, you know, do more and, uh, you know, really try to impact the game every game I play. That's incredible because, I mean, I'm not saying this for effect. You are a part of that history already. I mean, already, as a young player, you've already been an AFC Defensive Player of the Week. And you haven't really played the game that long when you think about things, for those who don't know that story. But, you know, as a rookie, to walk into a team that has guys like Calais Campbell and Justin Houston, two of the most respected vets in the entire league, what's it been like to walk in that locker room? And what have you learned from guys like that so far? Yeah, it's crazy. Like I said, I'm just walking into, you know, tradition and just just (laughs) effective, you know, players that have just been doing it for such a long time. you know, have so many records. You know, Clay is the man of the year. You know, Justin has 97 sacks. Clay has 92 sacks. So it's just so much, you know, just greatness and just, just to my disposal right there. So, you know, I take it as a blessing every day. I just try to learn from, from each one of them. You know, Justin's in my outside linebacker room. So I'm, I'm learning from him every day, you know, in meetings to individuals to, you know, like team drills and everything. So I'm, I'm always picking his brain. And then Calais, obviously, you know, he, he's on the D-line, but obviously he's not in my room. So I just I just try to pick whatever he has for me, you know, in terms of being a pro off the field. And then, you know, handling yourself in the league, you know, in terms of you know, just being a professional, you know, taking care of your body, um, watching film, you know, carrying yourself financial, financially. You know, Calais is really good with stuff like that. So it's just a blessing of what I have right now. I have the best of both worlds. To Calais, he's like really good at all stuff, man. Calais is just, if you've ever been around Calais, that's just, he's a giant of a man. He's got tremendous presence. And yeah, I agree with everything you just said. He's always been one of my favorites. You know, one of the things that the organization loved about you before the draft was the fact that you can get after the passer, but you can also set the edge against the run. You can even drop in coverage if they need you to do so. How much pride do you take in that versatility and your ability to impact the game in so many different ways? Um, yeah, I feel like that was that was something that teams just had to um, be able to respect with my game. You know, just that first versatility. You know, being able to play the run, defend the pass, and then obviously drop in coverage too. So, you know, I, I try to be able to do you know the, the most amount of things I can do on the field just to you know help my team and impact the game as much as I can. You know, I, I try to wreak havoc in every 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 area. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm continuing to try to get better. You know, I trust in Wink you know, for him to put me in the positions that, you know, I I, I can be in to, uh, to succeed in everything. And, you know, I just let the, let the pieces fall where they meant. You mentioned Wink. Of course, we're talking about D coordinator Wink Martindale. He said something. Now you mentioned him. Let me read you this quote. Quote, I can remember back in the, the draft, Ozzie told me you need to watch this 99 from Penn State. He's a raven. End quote. <laughs> 
Like when Ozzie Newsom says you're a Raven, that's pretty much the highest praise there is. From the outside, it really kind of does feel like you were a Raven before you were a Raven. So what's the transition been like from college to the NFL for you? Yeah, you know, I was a blessing hearing Wink say that. And obviously, you know, I, I have a good relationship with Wink and, and Ozzy as well. But, uh, you know, it's just it's just a blessing. You know, it's an honor for me to call the Ravens so early, you know, because that's something you got to earn. You can't just, you know, come into the league, you know, just being, you know, called a Raven. Obviously, people can say you're a Raven, but, you know, there's certain things you need to, you know, need to prove. And really just uh, it's a type of mentality and a play that you're playing. So, you know, the adjustment has been, you know, it's, it's been how every rookie has adjusted. But, you know, if you if you work hard, study, you know, work on your craft and just be humble in the beginning, um, you know, you're going to go through your just, just simple fact of wanting to profess your craft and just, just working hard. And not, not, you know, everything because, you know, you're coming into an organization where there's guys playing football longer than, you know, before you were even alive or, when, for me, before I was even playing football, I, played, I started playing five years ago. So I have players that's been playing in the league for 14 years. So, you know, it's crazy how you know knowledge we have around here. So I just I just try to be a sponge and just, just seek all the information I can. Adafi Owe joining us. No, I'll tell you what's crazy. I'll tell you what's crazy. What you just said, that you started playing football about five years ago. For those who yep. do not know the story, you were 16. You weren't even playing organized football. Point. The story goes that you were focused more on basketball, and then you went to yep. Blair Academy. Jim Saylor, the football coach, kept reaching out to you to get you to try to play. What made you finally give in and decide to give it a shot? Um, you know, uh, so I came, I came from a different uh, high school, and the high school I was in didn't even have football, so... Um, that wasn't even ever in my mind. So I was always a basketball guy. So when it came to the time that I had to, where I wanted to transfer schools, um, there was like a prerequisite where you had to play uh, two sports in order for me to um, be be admitted to the school. That was what the deal was going to be. You know, I was kind of upset because obviously I wanted to focus on basketball because that's when I was trying to get recruited as um, recruited for. But um, you know, so. The coach saw me in the admissions office, and he, you know, he questioned me, you know, playing basketball, like because obviously my size and everything, and it was like, yeah, you're definitely a football player. So, uh, you know, he kept harassing me, calling me after I left the school and after I had my uh, tour. I'm not gonna lie, I didn't want to answer a few times, but uh, I guess it was fate because um, I picked up, and uh, you know, he he told me that I, I would be admitted, you know, as long as I I promised to play football that uh, that fall. And I said I'll do it and give it a go. And then, you know, the rest is history. But uh, I really owe it to Jim Taylor, though, for, for you know, keep keeping on me. I got to tell you something, man. I mean, the rest might be history, but to me it's historic. I've never heard of anything like that. I mean, you literally started playing organized football five years ago, and you're already having an impact in the NFL. So that said, given how short a time you've been playing and that you're already making an impact in the NFL, how high then is your ceiling – how much better can you still get? Um, you know, I just, I just, I just, you know, put all that, put all that into God's hands, and obviously my work ethic. You know, I just got to continue to try to be, you know, a sponge and be humble and continue to work hard because that's what got me here. Obviously, it's not easy to try to, you know, because I'm playing, I'm playing catch up with everybody. Honestly, because um, you know, I started, I started pretty late, so I got, I got to work t- t- two times harder. 
10 times harder. And, uh, you know, just continue to, you know, be humble and be a sponge and continue to work. And I, I feel like my ceiling is through the roof because, you know, I'm still learning. I'm still going into my body. And I don't know what I don't know yet. So, let's <laughs> <laughs> see. I love it. Like it's always funny to me that somebody who knows enough to say I don't know what I don't know yet actually knows a whole lot. And then finally, for yep. those who do know you away from the field, you're also an accomplished artist. How did you first get into sketching, and what do you like doing? Like, what's that do for you? What do you like doing when it comes to exploring that side of yourself? Um. Yeah, I'm just a creative dude. I like I like to like like you said, I like to sketch, I like to paint. Um, just just do anything creative with my hands. You know, my dad is uh is pretty good at drawing, painting, all that stuff. You know, oil paint and watercolor stuff like that. So you know, I just picked it up from him, and I would always watch him. And then you know, I was like, let me try that. And then, you know, I, I saw that I had a little knack for it, and I just kept on doing it. You know, I like to draw still art, um, portraits, cartoons, a bunch of stuff like that. You know, I don't have a lot of time to do it right now, obviously because of the season, but. You know, whenever I have free time, I do it a lot. Dude, you're like, you're that guy. Like, hey, there's football. Let me try that. Oh, I'll play in the NFL. Hey, hey, there's art. Let me try that. Oh, I'm Van Gogh. You're, you're like that guy, dude. I mean that in the best way. Listen, really good to have you on the program. Thank you very much. You are fast becoming one of the NFL's most interesting people, dude. Great talking to you. Appreciate you. Thank you, man. Appreciate you. Good night.